Let's bow in prayer before we consider God's word. Father, we want to thank you for your word. We uh, do pray this morning that as we give our attention to it, that uh, you would be enlightening the darkness of our souls. And we pray that uh, we would learn more about uh, what it is to live uh, in relationship with you through our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Heavenly Father, that uh, you would give us uh, teachable minds and humble hearts, that we would respond appropriately to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A couple of weeks back, the Sydney Morning Herald did an intriguing story about a problem which is uh, being faced and addressed by the Jewish community in the Sydney suburb of Sydney, uh, of St Ives, rather. Now, here's the problem. It's got to do with the Sabbath, because we know that the Old Testament uh, taught that... Uh, on the Sabbath day, that uh, God's people were to rest from all of their work. Now, one of the uh, passages that deals with that, for example, is uh, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 21. Let me uh, tell you what that says. You don't have to look it up. But in Jeremiah chapter 17, it says, The Lord says, Be careful not to carry a load on the Sabbath or to bring it through the gates of Jerusalem. Unquote. How would you understand that? Um, what, what, what would you say it means to carry a load on the Sabbath? Uh, what does it mean to work on the Sabbath? Uh, these are uh, important questions because over the centuries, uh, the rabbis have developed uh, long lists of, of uh, definitions, long lists of activities, which uh, they say constitute work and constitute carrying a load. Now, these lists are not in the Bible, but nevertheless, Jewish people feel obligated to obey them. So what's going on in Sinai's? Well, here's the problem. The Sabbath regulations say that uh, on the Sabbath, carrying a load includes pushing a load. Uh, it also says that pushing a load includes pushing a... Pram. Uh, it includes pushing a wheelchair and uh, just to be a bit clearer on that, uh, the regulations do allow for a person to push a, a stroller or a pram or a wheelchair and do lots of other things within their house on the Sabbath but they're not allowed to do so outside of their house on the main thoroughfare. Now, this is a problem because, I mean, what if you're in a wheelchair? How do you get to the synagogue on the Sabbath? Um, if you're a parent with a child in a stroller or a pram, how do you get your kid to the, the, the synagogue on the Sabbath? And it's nice to three, see three strollers parked here in front of me right now. Okay, these are, these are problems. And modern Judaism has come up with a solution to the problem. Uh, and here's the solution. If a group of Jewish households in a particular locality agree that for Sabbath-keeping purposes that each of their households will be aggregated, then they can be considered to be one household but they must build a wall 
around that locality, around all of the houses that are included in that aggregated one household. And that wall is called an Erev. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but it's spelt E-R-U-V. It doesn't have to be an actual wall. Uh, it can be a virtual wall. It can consist of some natural kind of features like uh, rivers or creeks or um, cliff faces. Uh, it can consist of other man-made uh, man barriers that already exist like um, telephone poles, electricity poles, uh, existing fences, um, specially erected poles, and so on. So long as you can kind of put it on a map and, so, and draw your outline around it and say this is the Erev, this is the wall, and if you stick within that area on the Sabbath, then you are considered to be at home and therefore a whole stack of Sabbath rules don't apply. You got it? Does it make sense? Uh, there is, this would be the second Erev in Sydney. There is already a, one Erev that exists and that is in the, um, uh, it's in the Waverley Bondi um, area of Sydney and you could get on the internet and you can see a map of it. It goes up Old South Ed Road and through, through those kind of areas as well. Listen to how the website of the existing Erev describes it and it says, and I quote, the Sydney Erev helps make Sabbath observance more pleasant, especially for families with young children. The Erev allows people to push a pram, to use a wheelchair or a walking frame, or simply to carry house keys, reading glasses or food on the Sabbath. Um, that's the existing one in Sydney. Uh, presently, the Karingai Council has a development application before it for the Erev to go around the suburb of St Ives. And there's a bit of controversy about it and so on. You can see their problem, can't you? The rabbis have loaded them with uh, so many do's and don'ts that uh, the Sabbath is no longer pleasant. That's why they need the Erev to make it more pleasant. So I want to talk about Sabbath today. Um, I want to ask the question, uh, firstly, what, uh, what is the Sabbath all about? What does Sabbath mean? And there's some simple definitions there. The word Sabbath is a Hebrew word, and uh, it, it means seventh, and it also means rest. And that's why in Genesis chapter 2, uh, on the seventh day, God rested from his work. Now, in Matthew's Gospel this morning, Jesus shows us what it truly means to participate in the Sabbath. Uh, that is, to participate in the rest. Uh, I wonder if you could open up your Bibles at Matthew chapter 11, uh, in verse 28. In verse 28, Jesus makes an astonishing promise. He says this, and you'll be familiar with these verses. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you, what does it say? Rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, 
and my burden is light. Now, the rabbis had compiled um, entire books full of laws which were in addition to the Old Testament. Uh, in uh, one of those books, the, the main book, which is called the Talmud, uh, there were an entire 24 chapters devoted to uh, definitions of what constituted work on the Sabbath. Whole long lists of things that you can't do, 24 chapters of lists of things you can't do because they are considered to be work on the Sabbath. The do's and the don'ts. Friends, the Sabbath became a minefield. Instead of being a day of rest, it became a day of intolerable burden because it was so hard to make sure that you didn't break any rules. You're treading on eggshells on the Sabbath, fearful that you're going to step over some regulation that the rabbis had forbidden because they considered it to be work. I'd love to read some of the definitions for you, but we just don't have time uh, to do that. But the bottom line is that, that, that the Sabbath was more tiring than going to work. It was harder to rest than to earn a living because they lost the plot. And we see a couple of examples of this uh, in chapter 12. Firstly, in uh, chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, there's a scene there, an example, where Jesus and his disciples were taking a walk across a farmer's field one day. Um, they were hungry, and so they plucked some heads of, of grain from the field and they ate it. Now, the law did not forbid them from... Uh, that wasn't stealing, by the way. You're allowed to actually you know, take a little bit just for sustenance as you're walking along through the fa farmer's uh, 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 field. They were hungry, so they plucked some of the grain and they ate it. The problem was that the day was the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees, you can see there, the Pharisees pounced. Now, you've got to ask one question. Uh, you've got to wonder what the Pharisees were doing down on the grain fields during the Sabbath, but the uh, passage doesn't actually elucidate on that. Uh, the bottom line here is that they accused the disciples of breaking the Sabbath law. They said that the disciples were working. Now, how does plucking grain and eating it constitute work? Uh, let me ask you, if you were Jesus and the Pharisees come and pounced at this moment, what would you have said in defence of your disciples? Uh, for me, I might have said something like this. I might have say, said something like, uh, uh, you Pharisees, you reckon that this is harvesting? That's silly. These men are not farmers. They're my disciples. They're just walking. This is not their daily work. They're hungry. They need food. There's some food available. They're eating it. This is not... I, I, I might and I think that would be a reasonable way of responding. But it's interesting because it's not the way that Jesus responded. Have a look at verse 3. In verse 3, he answered by saying, Haven't you read which is kind of code for saying, you guys should know this. And he reminds them of an incident from the Old Testament 
when David was escaping from uh, the deranged King Saul who wanted to kill him, uh, he was escaping from Saul and this was before the temple was built. This was in the days when uh, they had a house of God at a place called Nob. And remember, the, the house of God is kind of like is the holiest of places because in the house of God, that is where God symbolically dwelt. Right? Now, David and his men were fugitives. They were running for their lives. They were hungry. They got to Nob. They got to the house of God and they ate some food which had been consecrated. The priests gave them some food which only priests were supposed to eat. And David and his men were not punished for that. Why? Well, hold that thought. Jesus makes a second point in verse 5. Have a look at verse 5. He says, Or haven't you read, again, you guys should know this, in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? Now, what's he saying there? He's saying that the priests work on the Sabbath. Uh, they have to offer up um, sacrifices. That's work. And that, too, is being done in the holiest of places, in the temple, the place where God symbolically dwelt. Now, what's the issue here? The heart of the matter is in verse 7, where Jesus quotes from Hosea and says... I desire mercy, not sacrifice. See, what is God interested in? Is God interested in the right observance of particular sacrifices in the right way and so on? Uh, is God interested in the meticulous obedience of, uh, of religious laws? He's actually interested in mercy. That, that's the critical issue. See, the priests at Nob, they could have said to David and his friends, we don't care that someone's trying to kill you. We don't care that you're hungry. Uh, go away. This food has been consecrated. We're not going to give you any of it. They could have said that, couldn't they? But no, they gave the food because they understood the concept of mercy. But Jesus says more. The temple or the house of God symbolised the presence of God amongst his people but guess what Jesus says? And have a look at verse 6. In verse 6, Jesus says, but someone greater than the temple is here. If the temple represents the presence of God amongst his people, then what could be greater than the temple? Well, that God actually is present, not just represented. <laughs> The presence of God himself. Don't worry about your temple. Don't worry about your man-made Sabbath regulations because there's something bigger going on here. God is present in Jesus. Because then in verse 8 he declares, For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, what does that mean? Well, remember that Sabbath means rest. And what Jesus is saying is that all that the Old Testament taught about the temple, God's presence amongst his people, 
all that the Old Testament talk about the Sabbath, that is resting, these things are now fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Sabbath. Jesus is the rest because in Jesus we find rest for our souls. The promise that he's just given. How's your soul? Are you at rest with God in your soul? I remember an old Scottish friend of mine by the name of John. He uh, came along to our church about 17 years ago and uh, John had been going, he's one of these guys that had been going to church all his life, you know, since, since he was in the stroller or the pram. Mum and Dad had brought him along to church. And as I got to know him, he was a pretty nice guy. Um, but I realised that he was burdened, spiritually burdened. And he used to tell me, he told me one day after church how he, he, he'd been going to church all his life and he said... I really try my very best to obey all of the commandments and I try to come to church every Sunday, do my very best, except when it's a really nice day and I'm out sailing. But anyway, apart from that, he said, I really try my hardest to obey all the commandments, but I'm not perfect and I just keep on failing and I'm not sure what to do about that. And he said to me, is there another way? Friends, human religion is like that, isn't it? Human religion says that, um, that we get to God by kind of crawling our way up, climbing up this kind of mountain of rules and regulations and obediences and do's and don'ts and all this sort of thing. And that, quite frankly, is just like an impossible burden. You see, in verse 27 of chapter 11... We see there that there is only one way that anyone can know their creator, God the Father, and that is through the Son. And we we see there in that section, in that section that it's as we trust in Jesus' death, like a little child or like a boy or a girl trusts their parent, It's as we trust in Jesus' death that we can find rest for our souls. And uh, the good news is that one night, uh, John started coming along to Bible study group and we were doing the uh, Just for Starters or Back back to Basics uh, Bible studies. And uh, I think it was the second study on Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 that uh, John asked his question again, uh, is there another way? And... Uh, a couple of us shared with him that we can't climb that mountain of laws. We'll never get to the top. But there is a way to be accepted by God and it's called forgiveness through the death of Jesus. And I remember John's response. It was just interesting watching this guy in this lounge chair as he's processing this in his brain and in his kind of rolling the R's Scottish accent, which I can't do and I'm not going to try, he said... uh, He said, do you mean, are you saying that Jesus has already paid my debt for me? I said, yes. He said, "Uh, do, do you mean that I can be freely forgiven of my sins? I said, yes. He said, do you mean I can be sure that I'm going to go to heaven? I said, yes. 
That was 17 years ago, but I remember this smile that went from one ear to the other as he said, I like that. I like that. It's just interesting to see this man process. That's conversion. That's conversion. And there was this joy. There was like this kind of burden was lifted from his shoulders because there was a burden lifted, the burden of his sin. Last time I caught up with John, he was tracking along nicely as a Christian uh, and resting in the work that Jesus had done for him, not trying to do the work himself. Now, friends, we don't celebrate a Sabbath one day a week. That is not a Christian concept. Because if you trust in Jesus, and you won't find it in the New Testament, if you trust in Jesus, then you actually live your whole life in the Sabbath. Uh, Because the Sabbath has been fulfilled in Jesus. And you are a person who lives your life resting in the sheer mercy of God. Now, Jesus moved on from the grain fields. And in Matthew chapter 9, in verse 9 rather, of uh, chapter 12, Matthew tells us this. He tells us that going from that place, he went into their synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. And they asked him, uh, looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, first question Whose synagogue did Jesus go into? What does it say? Theirs. Who are the they? Who are the theirs? Who are the they? The Pharisees. This is interesting, isn't it? You see, Jesus kind of he doesn't back off. He doesn't sort of, you know, curl up and retreat into a corner when these guys confront him. Instead, he goes straight into the lair. He goes to their synagogue to their synagogue. Jesus is not intimidated by these people. Now, the Pharisees uh, tried to corner him uh, in the synagogue by asking him this question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Uh, There was a man there who, we're told, had a shriveled hand. I don't understand the medical issues involved there, but this bloke's hand was shriveled, which in that kind of world would have been a serious matter because it would have been pretty hard to work if you've got a shriveled hand. Uh, now the uh, the rabbinical laws uh, forbade people from doing medical work on the Sabbath unless it was a life-threatening situation. Uh, this man only had a bad hand. Uh, actually, the Pharisees couldn't care less about the man; they just wanted to trap Jesus. I guess that uh, if he didn't heal the man, they'd say, well, there you go, he's not exercising mercy. If he did heal the man, they'd say he's broken the law of Moses or their rabbinical laws. And so Jesus kind of doesn't enter into that. What he does is he exposes their hypocrisy by answering their question with a question of his own. Here's the scenario. He says, uh, if if you've got a sheep and your sheep falls into a pit, and it's the Sabbath, are you going to get down there in the pit and pull the sheep out? And he knows very well that the answer to that is yes, that's what they would have done. 
And so Jesus kind of says, well, how about doing the same thing for a human being? Someone who's made in the image of God rather than sticking to your religious laws. How about helping someone? And at that point in verse 13, Jesus told the man to stretch out his hand and he healed the fellow. It says there he was completely healed. The uh, shriveled hand became as good as the other hand. Now, that was a terrible Sabbath day for those Pharisees. Uh, they did not like it one little bit. In fact, uh, they went away and they just started to talk about how they might kill Jesus. That's how bad their Sabbath was. But what about for that fellow who had his hand healed? I reckon that was a pretty good Sabbath for him, don't you? I reckon that was a great Sabbath for him. I reckon that that's a... That was an experience in the synagogue that he wouldn't forget in a hurry. Uh, it was a terrific Sabbath for him because he experienced the mercy of Jesus. That was a great time for him. So what should be our attitude towards the Sabbath today? That's an important question because it's not just Jewish people living in the suburbs of Sydney who have issues with Sabbath regulations. Uh, there are people within churches who have uh, issues with the Sabbath as well. Let me uh, just outline a couple of those issues for you. Um, firstly, there are some churches uh, which, who's, which say that the, the particular that, well, they say that Saturday is Sabbath, okay? The Sabbath is Saturday. And they would say that it's wrong, that it's actually sinful, to go to church on Sunday uh, or any other day apart from Saturday. Saturday is the Sabbath. Saturday is the day you don't work. Saturday is the day you go to church and to do anything else is utterly wrong and sinful had a conversation with a, with a pastor just uh, recently who uh, indicated that for me. That's one issue. Just hold that thought. Uh, closer to home, there are also Christians who have got very strong regulations about what you can... They say that, the, they say that Sunday is a special day and they've got these very strong rules and regulations about what you can and what you can't do on Sunday. <laughs> Uh, I was once wrapped over the knuckles fairly severely because my church had a barbecue on a Sunday. <laughs> I told it that was wrong. Uh, that was against God's, God's word. I heard one Presbyterian preacher, you'll like this one, Presbyterian preacher who was defining what consisted of rest and work on the Sabbath for his congregation and he said that um, on Sundays you can't watch football on TV because it's too exciting. <laughs> it's, and, and that's actually work. You know, it's not restful to watch football on TV on the Sunday. A few guilty-looking people around here at the moment. But get this, he went on to say that watching cricket on TV on Sunday was quite okay. <laughs> And he wasn't kidding. He wasn't kidding. Uh, let me say a few words about this. Friends, it's, 
it's right for us to to rest from our work uh, one day in seven. Um, That is healthy. Um, God has made our bodies that way. It's healthy for our bodies. It's healthy for our minds. It's healthy for our relationships. It's called getting the balance right and uh, you'll uh, be more productive as a result. It's a good thing to do. It's a right thing to do. And it's one of the, for me, it's one of the easiest things to do, to take one day off every seven, uh, to enjoy those things. But as we, as we rest um, and take that day off, Christians have decided that that is a good day to get together as God's people. Uh, and when, Because when we get together as God's people, we're saying some very, and, and we do so on the day of rest, on a day of rest, we're saying some very important things. Uh, you see, there's, there's more going on today than what meets the eye. Uh, let me explain why. Firstly, when we, as we rest and gather with God's people, we're actually saying that the universe is not going to collapse, that the universe is not going to kind of grind to a halt and seize up Uh, because we're not on the job, because we're not doing our work. Uh, We're actually saying that by resting, that we trust that God will provide, that he is the one who is the supplier of all that we need and all that we need to do. That's one thing. Secondly, by resting... It is a very tangible way of saying that we live our whole lives in the Sabbath. It's a very tangible way of saying that our sins are forgiven, uh, that in Jesus our burden has been lifted. It's a very tangible way of saying that we have found rest for our souls in the gospel. Thirdly, as we rest in Jesus now, uh, we, we enjoy rest. We enjoy the rest of, the, of, of being at rest in our souls, the peace that we have with God through Christ. As we rest in Jesus now, we still struggle though. We live in this world and we struggle therefore in the fight against the world, the flesh and the devil. We are engaged in spiritual warfare. In Hebrews chapter 4, which is a great passage to look at with this, in respect to this whole issue of the Sabbath, in Hebrews chapter 4, uh, it says that the, the resting on the seventh day was a pointer to God's people resting in the land of Canaan, in the, in the, the promised land. And that in the promised land, that that was their rest. But it goes on to say that they didn't find that rest in the promised land because the promised land is actually a pointer to something later, something bigger, something greater. It's a pointer to Jesus and it's a pointer to that time when we will be fully, firmly, completely, totally at rest forever. That is in heaven Uh, where all who remain faithful to Jesus will be gathered around the throne of God 
free from temptation, free from the struggle, free from the guilt and the condemnation, free from sin, forgiven and resting in Jesus, praising God forever and ever and ever. And so when we rest together, as we're doing right now, around the word of God, with the people of God, what we are saying is that this is our future. We're saying that this is what we're going to be doing for all of eternity. And so it's good to get a bit of a taste of it in the here and the now. We're actually expressing faith and hope for our eternal future, resting in God. They're the three things I wanted to say. But then what about um, legalism? What about rules and regulations, do's and don'ts in the here and the now? Friends, to quibble over what you can and can't do on certain days, to insist that you must go to church on one day and not on another day, to forbid people from plucking some grain or helping someone in need or enjoying yourself is to completely miss the point of the gospel. Completely misses the point. Um, this was an issue in the early church as well. And uh, it's addressed by the Apostle Paul in a couple of places. For example, in Romans chapter 14, verse 5, uh, where uh, Paul says that there are some Christians who considered one day to be sacred and other Christians considered another day to be sacred, Paul said, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter what you view on certain days so long as whatever you're doing in the whole of your life you're doing for the service and the uh, honour of God. That's the critical issue. And so he goes on in, um, in Colossians chapter 2 having talked about the gospel, about what Jesus has done, he says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you in accordance to a Sabbath day. Don't let anyone say to you that you're doing the wrong thing on the Sabbath or that you're going to the church on the wrong day or whatever. Paul says, that's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Don't let anyone judge you on a Sabbath day because he says these things are a shadow of the reality which was yet to come and that reality is found in Christ. If you are in Christ, then you live in the Sabbath. Right? And so that's why we Christians don't call upon people to Sabbath observance. We call upon people to trust in Jesus, to enter into the true Sabbath, into the true rest for their souls. We preach the gospel. And so I just want to conclude by asking you, have you found rest for your soul? Have you trusted in Jesus? Are you living in the Sabbath? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the work of Jesus that on the cross, that uh, what he has done has had the effect of lifting the burden of sin, uh, lifting that burden from our souls, that we can have peace with you, that we can be at rest in you. Uh, 
we uh, pray, Father, for each one of us that we would continue to rest in Jesus and uh, not seek to uh, find righteousness through self-effort, but that we'd be resting in Jesus all our days, that we too would live with you for all of eternity, uh, resting around your throne, rejoicing in you and praising Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.